steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs! Sideline! Touchdown! to the Unbelievable Podcast. I am BJ Rydell, back here with my guy, Drew Mahold, and today we are talking about your Minnesota Vikings taking on the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, that matchup squares off at 3.30 on Saturday. Uh, big divisional round matchup. Uh, Vikings will be playing on the road at Levi Stadium. Uh, so today we'll do our usual Thursday show, uh, breaking down position by position, uh, position group by position group, and try to find some weaknesses as well as strengths for this 49ers team and uh, compare that to your Minnesota Vikings. So that'll be the meat of the show. And then, as usual, we'll finish up with our game predictions uh, for the week and a little bit of a you know, fun analysis uh, on those games as well. So that is the game plan for today's show. Uh, let's jump right into it here. Um, so the 49ers coming in here, they are the number one overall seed in the NFC. Uh, you could make an argument that they are also the most complete and strongest team in the NFL um, across the board. Um, they had they put together one of the strongest defenses in the entire NFL this season. Uh, that's kind of I feel like Nick Bosa has gotten a lot of the publicity for that. You know, coming mm-hmm. in there as the as one of the top rookies in the NFL. But as a whole, you know, you look at this defense and it's filled with superstars or potential superstars, I suppose and guys that have done it before at a high level like Richard Sherman. You've also got the the offense that's led by Jimmy Garoppolo and plenty of playmakers across this board. None of them are huge names by any means. Uh, some of them are younger players. I, honestly, other than Garoppolo, it's George Kittle and Emmanuel Sanders and then just a bunch of guys that can do a, a lot of different things for this offense. And Kyle mm-hmm. Shanahan being the offensive wizard that he is uh, has been able to get the most out of a roster that – um, offensively, you know, like I said, other than those couple of names, really doesn't have, um, you know, household names, I suppose is probably the fairest way to put it. I'm not saying mm-hmm. these are bad players by any means, but these are not guys. You know, Debo San- Samuel is a talented rookie, but then you've got Kendrick Bourne, who has contributed in a big way. Um, you've got Raheem Mostert, who bounced around the league all over the place before becoming, a, you know, their basically their starting running back. Tevin Coleman, who was a backup to Devonta Freeman in Atlanta. You know, Matt Breida, who was supposed to be the backup to Jarek McKinnon when he signed here. Just a lot of different names that are all contributing in a variety of different ways. So uh, that's kind of a broad outlook of this roster. Let's let's take a look in depth, starting with that quarterback position. And I'm going to let you tell me about Jimmy Garoppolo because I know you're a big fan of his. Yeah, huge fan of Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> uh, definitely bought into him a long time ago. Uh, no, it's He's like, I don't know, he's fine. I mean, it. he has <laughs> not garnered the, I shouldn't say, he's garnered the attention and the hype of someone who looked promising as a Tom Brady successor at one point. Um, I don't think he's quite lived up to that. And the fact that, uh, I mean, he's, again, he's winning games. Like, he's going to be, like, if you're a QB wins person, then you think Jimmy is elite, you know, because he does win a lot. But... Um, I, I think you know he's put in a great situation with a great innovative offensive mind um, and he has a couple of their offensive line is pretty solid for one but also I, I think George Kittle is the best tight end receiving wise in the NFL you can argue Travis Kelsey maybe you can argue Zach Ertz um, but I think Kittle is probably the best guy there um, and so you got that safety blanket and then between you know Debo Samuel between Emmanuel Sanders um those two guys are our studs as well. So, uh, you know, he's, he's okay. He's okay. He's fine. Um, I think he's not gonna, it's, it's a lot, it's similar to the way we talk about Kirk. Uh, but I think Jimmy G is a little bit, um, of a tier lower than Kirk per se, where Jimmy G is not going to carry the Niners to a win. Um, and so like if, if I'm, if I'm defending, let's, you know, let's, let's say, I have to pick my poison, so to speak, to defend the 49ers. I'm going to make Jimmy G drop back and sling it down the field um, uh, to somebody not named George Kittle. And then if that's if that's the case and the Vikings can stop that, I guess, three-headed 
monster running attack between Brita and Coleman and Mostert, uh, whoever it is that gets the ball, they do run the ball really well. Um, but if they can stop that, kind of force Jimmy G to throw it down the field and convert those third and sevens, those third and nines, uh, I think the Vikings will be in good shape defensively. Yeah, so Garoppolo obviously comes over here from New, uh, New England a couple of years back. He's now in his third season with San Francisco. Um, speaking of the winning that you mentioned uh, during your little analysis there, he's 19-5 and five as a starting quarterback since joining the San Francisco mm-hmm. 49ers. So that supports your reasoning that – He is 0-1 against the Minnesota Vikings. During he that is stretch. that. Yeah, he lost to the Vikings last season. I believe that was opening week too, wasn't it? It was. Yep. So uh, Garoppolo did put up some solid numbers this season, a 69% completion, nearly 4,000 passing yards, 27 touchdowns to 13 picks. He had a couple games down the stretch, which really showed promise. So if you are, you know, if you're a 49ers fan, there are some things that he was able to do in late game situations. He did finish the year with four fourth quarter comebacks, um, and he put this team in a position to win from an offensive perspective a couple of times throughout the year. The problem with him is the inconsistency, and I think that that's kind of the fun relationship that he has with Kirk Cousins. Because the because Vikings fans kind of treat like you said Vikings fans kind of treat Kirk Cousins that way where you're when he's on he's really on and you're mm-hmm. thrilled that he's your quarterback but when he's off it's all about the defense and how much you know how many points are they going to allow because you might not get much out of Garoppolo that's simply right. what it's been like for his career just a little bit on and off bit of a roller coaster this season yet they still won 13 games. And that's largely because, like you said, they can run the ball extremely effectively. I believe they are the highest efficiency rushing attack in the NFL this season. Um, that's a combination of a couple of different things. You start with Kyle Shanahan being one of the best play callers and schemers in the NFL right now. There are really only a couple of guys who are even on his level, in my opinion. You think of Sean McVay and you think of Sean Payton, and those are really mm-hmm. two, the only two guys to me that are even close to him in terms of innovation and being just creative with play calling. So you start there with that rushing attack, and the way that he's the way that he is able to get the most out of these guys starts with his scheming ability, the right play calls at the right time, that type of thing. Those are sort of intangibles that really you can't teach. Just a feel for the game and just an ability to be creative with your with your personnel. That's something that really that Kyle Shanahan does as good or better than anyone in the NFL. You can't stop that part of it. The other thing that he does is he keeps everyone fresh. You talk about that three-headed monster. Uh, it has been lead led by uh, Mostert over the last several weeks. I believe Shanahan has called him the starter in a couple of different interviews. So if you are looking for a starter in this game, Mostert is your guy at the running back position. But Tevin Coleman gets mixed in, and Matt Breida is a home run threat as well. We've seen him take it the distance from a long ways out on multiple mm-hmm. occasions. And that actually, honestly doesn't even round out the running back group if you want to consider Kyle Juszczyk as well, the fullback that is used. There is no other team in the NFL that uses a fullback like Shanahan does, and the way that Juszczyk is used is just it's unconventional to the position. Um, it's, it's borderline radical in terms of the strategy. I mean, he's running wide receiver routes. Uh, there is no one mm-hmm. else in the NFL that plays the position of fullback quite like Juszczyk. And so you've got these four guys here who are trading snaps, who are trading, uh, I guess, being the center of attention on certain plays, and none of them seem to have an issue with it. There's no ego amongst this group. And they simply they wear you down by with the fact that they are always fresh, and this is a talented group. I mean, these aren't superstars by any means, or at least as prospects. None of them were thought to be, with the exception of maybe Coleman, thought to be bell cow running backs in the NFL. But when you're giving them only 10 to 15 touches a piece and you're keeping them fresh and they have a nice rotation going and then you're setting them up well situationally with your play calling and your personnel. I mean, this group has put together just an extremely impressive attack that is rivaled only by the Ravens with Lamar Jackson running the show in Baltimore. Right. It's, it's yeah, it does. It's like you can tell watching this team that it's not necessarily Jimmy G's talent that is getting the job done. Right. It's like you said, it's um, the way that uh, the positions that he's put in, uh, and I just think is a huge credit to Kyle Shanahan. And clearly he has emerged as, again, like you said, one of the top two, three offensive minds um, in football. And you mentioned Kyle Juszczyk um, and the way that the Niners use him. He has 33 receptions of 15 or more yards since 2015. 
um, which is obviously more than any other fullback in football because no other fullback has more even, than seven. Yeah. So, I mean, it's and the, the fullback is becoming a lost art, but the fact that Juszczyk is athletic enough to do that, versatile enough where he can be a lead blocker, but also he can beat a lot of linebackers, you know, single coverage, right? Uh, or he can beat potentially safety single coverage, which is unique out of that position. So he'll he's kind see of him. their Taysom Hill. In a, I mean, yeah, he's, yeah, a he's not a bit. quarterback, so he doesn't get it's the recognition. Not going to pass, right. right? But he, he'll he'll you know line up wide. He's a Swiss uh, Army knife in that way. I he'll put in the slot. He'll play out of the backfield, obviously. So that's another guy to watch for. But you know, one thing I do want to mention is that for as good as George Kittle is, for as dangerous as he is, and for you know, we talked a lot earlier in the season about the Vikings and defending tight ends, and doesn't seem like they do that very well. Actually, they were flat out dominant against tight ends this season pass rating allowed of 60 which is best in the league and second best is actually san francisco at 88 so the vikings were 28 points in passer rating better than the second best team defending tight ends which bodes really well for a team that absolutely loves to target the tight end position in george kittle um i think if you look think back in the um niners season there was a couple one of their last couple of games off to look it up but they had their their receiving number i think it was the ravens game their receiving numbers were hilarious because um like George Kittle had like 70% of the targets, something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to try and find it here. But but basically, they that's where the first read is quite a bit. And fair enough, because Kittle's really talented. But um, if you can get Jimmy G off that first read um, and maybe take away the tight end, I think that's where he can be kind of shaky after that. So Kittle, you mentioned earlier, called Kittle a safety net. And I agree, he is a safety net. But he, in addition to that point, he's also the guy that they try to get the ball in his hands with the game on the line. We saw this most recently against, was it, I believe it was Seattle, when he had that big breakout run um, to put San Francisco in striking distance and ultimately win the game. Uh, Kittle is, so he's good enough, to, so he's, he's used in a, in a couple of different ways. He's used as that guy that can leak out of the backfield and he can be your biggest strength offensively. Uh, but he can also be that guy that just helps Jimmy Garoppolo uh, in terms of, you know, giving him a guy a, like a quality option amidst uh, you know some uncertainty within this receiving group. So you've got Kittle who could be dominant, and it, like you said, will take the lion's share of the targets. And then you've got this group of wide receivers who complement him extremely well because they are a lot of them are are essentially gadget wide receivers. You look at the way that Debo Samuel is used. Um, he is using, you know, as a player that can be, that can catch screen passes and be used, you know, in a, in, in that sort of way. Like you think of, you can compare it to the way that, for example, the Vikings used to use Cordero Patterson in terms of just trying to get him the ball in space and then mm-hmm. seeing what he can do with it. Um, he's not your standard, you know, I'm going to run a full route tree wide receiver. Uh, Samuel's the guy that you want to get the ball in his hands and, and make his yardage after the catch. So he can be dangerous in terms of when you see a trips look and you get these two, you know, two solid blocking receivers out in front of him and just give him some space. He can be dangerous that way. Uh, he's going to, you know, he's going to take handoffs from unconventional spots on the field, whether that's a jet sweep or, you know, lining up straight up in the backfield as a running back. You know, he's using a lot of different ways, and that complements Kittle's skill set because not only is Kittle a, a major, major threat as a receiver, but he's also an outstanding blocker as well. He is. And he springs guys loose on with regularity. So even when Kittle doesn't have the ball in, the, in his hand, you can make an argument that he is the most lethal piece of this offense because he contributes as a blocker as well, and he contributes in a huge way. And that is on top of having five guys up front who are now, pl- I believe, playing you know as a as a complete unit. Uh, you know, for the you know they didn't play as a group because of injuries early on in the year, and I believe all of them are back together now. You look at Joe Staley on the left side, Mike McGlinchey out of Notre Dame on the right mm-hmm. side. You get two outstanding tackles, and then you've got you know the in- interior that is probably a bit of a work in progress, but still very solid. And the way that the scheme is used by Kyle Shanahan doesn't put them in a position to be, you know, unsuccessful because the ball is coming out of Garoppolo's hands so quickly most of the time. So Mm -hmm. just the way that the it's just a well-functioning machine as a whole. They're they're really the only superstar here is Kittle, in my opinion. But everything works around him. I mean, you can make an argument, I guess, for Emmanuel Sanders. He's had his moments 
and he is, you know, a solid route runner and one of the best possession receivers in the NFL. But he's not a superstar like Kittle is. Most of these guys just contribute all in different ways. And if you just bring up the 49ers roster, if you just put it up in front of you, the only two guys that might not see snaps throughout a game are the two backup quarterbacks and the backup offensive linemen. Everyone else may be used throughout the, you know, mm-hmm. throughout the game. I've seen Jeff Wilson out there too. And he honestly, he had one of the biggest catches and runs of the season, and he is listed as their number four running back. So Kyle Shanahan takes no prisoners. He doesn't care who you are. He puts out the best lineup, the freshest lineup on every single play, and he schemes it to put the Vikings, or well, I guess any defense for that matter, but in this case, the Vikings defense at a disadvantage. Yeah. The one thing that I wanted to kind of piggyback off of from you was that you mentioned that the Niners have two great tackles, right? Joe Staley, Mike McGlinchey, and, you know, there's an optimistic side to facing this def- or this offense that is, you know, well-schemed, well-coached, um, always going to be put in great positions, um, maximizing the talent, is that, you know, the Vikings did just get, you know, they just played a team with uh, two, you know, all pro caliber tackles, and Zimmer kind of schemed around it to put Hunter and Griffin inside a couple times and attack the weaker interior. And you wonder if that might be something that they continue with this week um, in the passing situations when they can also bring in like Weatherly and Odenabo at on the outside where they can go at the tackles and then maybe um, clog the middle with Griffin and Hunter. Who knows? They might not. They might. um, You wonder if they maybe use it less or maybe not at all after putting it on film against the Saints. But uh, I do think that the Vikings have something there to think about uh, at least or for an option there that they can maybe neutralize I guess the effectiveness of those tackles because clearly that worked and and for what it's worth the Vikings when they did go up when Hunter and Griffin did go up against Armstead and Ramchek last week they were successful too when they were just straight up went up against them Uh, but they were also able to kind of take advantage of the weak spot of that Saints offensive line too so you wonder maybe they can do that this week but I do think like Jimmy G is, is vulnerable, A, when he gets pressure on, but B, also when you take away that first read, because um, he looks very comfortable and he's very effective and efficient and accurate when he can get to that first read and just, uh, you know, one, two, three step and bang, get the ball out to Kittle or Sanders or whoever it is. But I think after that, he can be ineffective. Yeah, you look at just strictly from a personnel standpoint, the Vikings defense seems to match up pretty well with this offense. You know, you look at the strengths of the San Francisco offense, I think you know, the biggest strengths are the tight end position, the two tackles, and then just – again, this is from strictly a personnel standpoint. It's the, two, it's the two tackles, the tight end, and really that's about it. I mean, the rest of this is a matter of being schemed up well. I guess you could make an argument mm-hmm. for Sanders as well. So those are your, you know, your four core pieces here, and the Vikings respond with basically their strongest unit, you know, one of the best defensive line rotations in the NFL. We'll get to the best defensive line rotation in a couple minutes here. Uh, but with, you know, with Hunter and Griffin, you answer these two tackles, whether they're, you know, lined up conventionally or uh, Zimmer tries to go with something a little bit more creative like he did last week in, against New Orleans. The Vikings do are able to answer this offensive line with two guys that can get pressure at a very consistent and significant rate. So that's helpful. And then you look at the wide receiver crew. I mentioned that, you know, Debo Samuel, Samuel is a very – he's a very dangerous home run threat, but he's not a conventional wide receiver. That's something that the Vikings seem to be able to answer well with their own scheme. Mike Zimmer has been as good as anyone at taking gadget players, you know, for the most part out of the game by just taking them out, and whether, that's, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, having a linebacker or a safety over the top that's sort of spying these guys. I I mean, Taysom Hill last week was really the last time that I remember Zimmer truly getting tricked by a guy that isn't fundamentally skilled. So the Vikings defense matches up well with this group, and that kind of starts with the fact that Garoppolo's not the most consistent or certainly not an elite quarterback. It's just a matter of can Mike Zimmer answer whatever Kyle Shanahan is calling. I think the first, you know, the scripted plays in this game – will tell us a lot about how Mike Zimmer is going to respond. And if he's able to stop the script in the start, then it just becomes a battle of wits. And I, there are very few coaches in the NFL where I'm not confident Mike Zimmer can scheme them up and ultimately find a way to take chunks out of their offense. But Kyle Shanahan is, is, a, is a, a rare breed 
where he's coming from a background of so many elite head coaches. He's got, of course, his father being one of the best minds that's ever been involved in the NFL period. And he's taken West Coast customs. I mean, he's put his own spin on Mm -hmm. things. He's just so dangerous in so many different ways that it doesn't really, like, the personnel matter not nearly as much as you would in a, in, in a normal game, I suppose. It's it's a matter of, like, the Vikings defense and the 49ers offense can match one-on-one heads up in games, but how are they going to be utilized? Which coach is going to get the better of the other? And that's just not a question that I can answer because I, Kyle Shanahan is so creative that really, you if you put on the film something that he you know put up in week 14, he may not even be using that stuff anymore. Right, right, right. And yeah, it's it's it's, it's it, yeah, it, it's like when Sean Payton kind of first came in the league and nobody knew what his, um, you know, what his specialties were, what he, you know, the different things he's going to throw at you. It's it, like the best coaches can not kind of get figured out, so to speak, for like decades, right? And that's kind of with Sean Payton. That's the respect he's earned. Right. Um, you know, Andy Reid. Those are the guys that they're they're effective after a really long time. They're just constantly adapting. And and but at the same time, you know, some of these offensive wizards come in and they're so they're new and they're different that you know they come from a coaching tree for one but that you know like Andy Reid or or Shanahan you know but then they put their own twist on it uh, to match my NFL or match their own preferences whatever and I think that's what Shanahan's done now that's what like Sean McVay did in 2017-2018 when you get that and teams haven't quite figured out Kyle Shanahan yet to me at least it doesn't seem like it I mean obviously in Atlanta um, he had one thing, but then he kind of had to match it to his personnel a little bit, I think, in San Francisco. So he's he's brought, at least to me, it looks like he's brought in some different running concepts specifically to kind of to, to, like we've talked about, you know, involve all three running backs and maybe four, uh, which is completely different uh, than you see a lot of times in the past. So uh, it's it's going to be a challenge, but it's a different challenge than New Orleans where it's like, okay, Michael Thomas is probably the guy to stop. And if right. you stop him, you have a good chance. Here it's kind of... Um, you know, I think really outside of Kittle, like there's there's a bunch of guys that are way more capable than maybe the other Saints weapons. They're like, you know, Sanders, Samuel, uh, any of the running backs out of the backfield, including Juszczyk. They're all very, more, very capable versus like a Ted Ginn or like a Traquan Smith, that type of thing. Absolutely. So, you know, as a whole, when you know, when you look at this offense, the obvious statement that we're going to make every single week and that you hear from every talking head across, you know, the globe is you got to stop the quarterback first and foremost. And while Garoppolo is not necessarily the most threatening guy in the world, slowing him down isn't just a matter of stopping his talent. It's a matter of stopping the scheme that's in front of him too. And being able to slow down, like, for example, if if Garoppolo's going to do three-step drops and the Vikings aren't able to get any pressure, then it comes down to the Vikings secondary. And that's, you know, a much bigger, that's a huge risk for the Vikings based off the way they have covered short routes this season and based off the way that these guys, when they get the ball in their hands, they're as dangerous as anyone in the league. Yeah. So, I – the personnel – George, by the way, George Kittle is number two in yak since the beginning of 2018. It doesn't shock me. Among all receivers, all running backs, all tight ends. Yeah. Uh, it's like it's four running backs and then uh, – like four running backs in the top five and George Kittle. <laughs> yeah. Like it's he's, – he's like special with the ball, which is unique for a tight end. And again, and for as special as he is with the ball – he can be just as dangerous without it as well. So, yeah. Ultimately, keep an eye on Kittle. He's going to be getting the targets. The ball's going to be in his hand a lot. And even when the ball is not in his hand, just watch to see where he lines up because there's a good chance the football is going in that direction because of how great he can be as an you know as a second level or third level blocker. Uh, he he's the type of guy that's going to spring the running back free and, be, and get them into a one on one situation. And then you trust guys like Brita and Mostert specifically with their breakaway speed, whereas Coleman mm-hmm. tends to be a guy that is used more more effectively inside the 10, 15-yard range. Um, so that's basically what the Vikings are dealing with. And then, again, Kyle Juszczyk, 44. Watch that number. Watch where he lines up. Uh, he will be used creatively. He will be used as in a trick, as kind of a trick play candidate, I suppose. And he will be used conventionally as a fullback, too, and he can do that as well as anyone in the league. So I would say those are the guys that you want to keep an eye on. Sanders is going to be your first down guy. If the, you know, if, if the 49ers are staring down a third and long situation, 
you can probably bet that Sanders is going to be the guy that they're going to get the, the look to if the Vikings are able to cover up George Kittle. So that's essentially what you're looking at with this offense. And really, for as much as we just talked about this group, they honestly aren't even the biggest weapon on this team. It, this, yeah. The, it's an it's offensive head coach, but this is a team that has won with defense throughout the year, and they boast you know one of the strongest overall defensive rosters that you're going to come yep. across in the NFL. Right, and they're getting back a couple of guys uh, from injury and uh, from absence that are huge for this team. Uh, obviously, Nick Bosa is kind of the headline, obviously, and then you get Richard Sherman in the secondary as well. But D. Ford, uh, another pass rusher who I want—I just saw this stat. I, got, I need to read it off because it kind of shows you the impact that another guy besides Bosa or Sherman might have. So D. Ford is back with the 49ers this week. Um, with Ford, the 49ers defense percentage of blocks defeated. So, like, you know, whether it's a run or the pass, just the blocks that they're winning right. or defeating, 63%, number two in the league. Without Ford, that percentage falls to 47%, which is 16th completely average in the league. So they go immediately from average to top flight uh, in the NFL in terms of just beating blocks. And for a Vikings offensive line that well was really good against the Saints, but overall Generally throughout speaking, the season, right. not so great. Um, you know, not we don't look at the Vikings as a top 10 maybe even top 15 offensive line uh that that's to me that's a significant number there for d4 and he's gonna have a big impact in this game absolutely you look at this this three like this three person rotation essentially and i'm sure that san francisco would love it to be four but it just really hasn't panned out for solomon thomas since he was drafted and that's unfortunate because he was one of my favorite prospects coming out for what it's worth but the three guys that you're gonna want to keep an eye on coming off the edge here Arbosa, of course, who you probably haven't stopped hearing about since you've been listening to you know Vikings Saint uh, Vikings Fortnite's covers covers this week, but you've got Eric Armstead as well, and then D Ford who you mm-hmm. just mentioned who came over from Kansas City this offseason. Those three guys are going to be rotating; they're going to be moving all over the place. Bosa will line up on the left and right side. Ford will also line up on the left and right side. Those two guys tend to win with finesse more than anything else. Uh, they are don't get me wrong; they they can win with power too. But generally speaking, you're going to see Bosa and Ford use their hands to get free from blockers, whereas Armstead tends to be a guy who is more powerful. Uh, he can kind of get the get offensive linemen off their anchor, and he's dangerous in that way. But Ford, Ford and Bosa are the two guys that have that are that really come up with those highlight reel type sacks where they're just blowing through a guy, busting open coverage, and just embarrassing guys. That's their style of play. And then you've also got DeForest Buckner uh, that's going to line up in the interior, and he's as dangerous as anyone, too. Uh, just There's so much talent within this group, and we can go on and on with, the, you know, with other players that can contribute on this line as well. You know, the fact that they are able to withstand the fact that Solomon Thomas has basically been a bust to this point and still have one of the best defensive line rotations that, I've, that I can think of in recent memory, I, I mean – how often do you get three defensive ends who are Pro Bowl caliber, all pro caliber players? It's just, mm-hmm. it's very rare that you have this much talent and that you can, you know, the Vikings love to do this with whether it, it's, I mean, it obviously started with Daniil Hunter, Brian Robinson, and Everson Griffin. They have since had to work in guys like Steven Weatherly and Afadi Odenigbo. And we have all seen how effective this pass rush can be when you're able to keep guys fresh. Now just amp that up. You know, give that, you know, uh, imag- uh, like a Mario mushroom, amp that up one level, and that's basically what you got with mm-hmm. San Francisco's defensive line because their rotation is filled with talent and it goes even deeper than the Vikings does. Right, yeah. I mean, you're right about that. And it's like uh, – I know we were talking a little bit with kind of the uh, climbing the pocket group of, you know, the, the network and we're talking about the Niners' defense and – you know how a lot of it is similar to the Legion of Boom Seattle era defense where you know a lot of it's like cover three or like the single high safety and you know Sherman still does this thing where he's kind of on one side of the field but he absolutely locks up that side of the field and you kind of have to look elsewhere most of the time um, but like you know when they blitz stuff it's not like super exotic or like weird or different it's just like they bring an extra guy or uh, they just straight up rush four one of the one of the two and they usually get there with one whether it's a different stunt whether it's uh like you, we've talked about how bosa and armstead and ford will move all around and they create mismatches that way but like when they blitz it's not super 
crazy or they don't like disguise it a ton. They just, they send the right guys um, uh, or they don't send anybody and they trust their D backs. They trust their linebackers to cover up and keep things in front of them. And uh, you know, obviously that secondary is it's deep, but it's also, you know, their starters are also very talented as well. Yeah. You look at this defense and really what makes them one of the most dangerous defenses in football and really within recent memory is the fact that they can rush for and get away with that. Like you said, mm-hmm. the fact that they don't need to blitz to get to the quarterback because they have so much talent coming off the edge and from the interior as well. I don't mean to pass over Sheldon Day at all. He's been he's been a strong contributor for this team. He's just unfortunately he's just not as big of a piece as, you know, Bosa, Buckner, Armstead and Ford have been for this unit. And the fact that they can rush for and get good coverage on the back end just allows them that much more time to get mm-hmm. to the quarterback. There I, I highly doubt that the Vikings will be doing anything deeper than a five-step drop in this game because you simply have to get the ball out of your hand quickly. You have to be, you have to finesse this a little bit too. There will be some play action, and honestly, there will be some play action that don't work and look really ugly. I assume that will happen as well because Robert Sala does call a great game on top of the fact that he has the personnel to do it. So – you look at the you look at this defensive line, but they complement the secondary very well, and they're able to sort of because of how strong that pass rush is, they're ma- they're able to make guys like Akella Witherspoon look a little bit better than he actually is. He's a solid player. He's a starting quality cornerback in the NFL, but he's by no means elite. And because they are able to get to the you know the quarterback at a high rate and very consistently getting there within three seconds or less it's making guys like Wither, Witherspoon, for example, that much more dangerous. And you can only imagine what type of an impact that has on a guy like Sherman, who loves to jump routes, loves to gamble, and really loves to play with the mind of the opposing wide receiver by just running their routes for him, essentially. He's one of the best in the business, mm-hmm. one of the smartest players to ever play this game, period, in terms of football IQ and you know conventional IQ as well, yeah. given that he has a Stanford education. But... Uh, my point being here is that the comp- the way that this defensive line is able to complement this secondary gives guys like Jimmy Ward the ability to just kind of be a free to be a true free safety and sit back there and single high and kind of just have some fun out there, use his instincts, use his knowledge of the tape that he watched all season long, and just basically just wreck havoc. And then you you complement him with a guy like Chikwaski Tart, who doesn't get much name recognition, uh, partially because I don't think many people know how to pronounce his name correctly but also because he's kind of a piece of this enti- this defense that has made a name for it as a, as a complete unit with Richard Sherman and, and Nick Bosa sort of being the face. You cover up guys who are having excellent seasons in Tart, Ward, and then also this group of linebackers who is simply outstanding. Yeah, well, and I mean, if, with Tart, I, I think, did he miss her any time this year with injury? I don't believe he, I don't if think he, did, he did, it wasn't very much, but... Um, the point, I mean, he, he allowed less than hundred yards all season in coverage, uh, on 13 catches and then just the one touchdown. So he's a stud out there. And then another guy I wanted to point out was there who they using the slot quite a bit. Uh, that's K1 Williams, um, PFS second, uh, highest graded slot corner. And in terms of depth of target, it was 3.8 yards on average. So, you know, they're not challenging Williams at all in that slot like he's keeping guys in front of him and he's extremely good in the press as well so if it's Thielen or Diggs in the slot they're going to have a challenge uh, or maybe BC whoever it is. I, I don't know who the, things get mixed up we saw the Adam Thielen on that fullback against the Saints so who knows where guys are going to be lined up with Stefanski uh, but point being is that you know out of the slot Vikings haven't been throwing a lot out to the slot very much this season a lot of it's just because they you'd like to use both Rudolph and Herb Smith and have only two receivers. But point being, the slot's going to be locked down pretty well by Williams uh, in that defense. So that's another guy to look at. And just another piece, again, in this, in this defense that from uh, Robert Sala that uh, has been, you know, why of why this defense has been so dominant. Absolutely. So the last, last unit that we haven't really touched on here um, is one of the most overlooked units, I probably, probably in the NFL. And that's partially because... Um, Quan Alexander, who has been cleared to play and is now, per report, a coach's decision whether or not he will return this week. So if he doesn't return, this unit is two rookies and Dre Greenlaw. And mm-hmm. I want to say it's Aziz Al-Shahir. Uh, if I pronounced that incorrectly, I apologize. <clears throat> so those are the – he's got two rookie linebackers and then Fred Warner, 
who I would go out on a limb and I'd say that Fred Warner is the most underrated player in the entire NFL right now. Mm. He sort of has that he has that Harrison Smith uh, vibe to him in the sense where he's just a guy that makes a lot of plays and no one really notices. I don't know why no one notices, but he just he's an extremely efficient tackler. You know, I've said this about a, line, a lot of linebackers this year, but I'll say the same thing about him. He travels sideline to sideline extremely well. He's got great instincts to the football, great nose for the ball once he gets there as well. And he's just very quietly one of the best linebackers in the game. He's kind of – he kind of has like a he, – he's sort of having a similar season to the one that Darius Leonard had last year where you didn't really notice how good he was until you looked back at all the, like the cumulative performance that he had all year and been like, wow, okay, this guy's for real. And you mm-hmm. don't really appreciate him unless you're a fan of San Francisco or if you're, you know, a, a big football guy who loves to watch film of every single player on the NFL. Then you may have come across Fred Warner. But he does not get the attention that he deserves. He's been one of the best in the NFL this season. Um, and he kind of completes this entire defense, right? So you've got the pass rush that's, that's as dominant as any unit in the league. You've got the secondary, which is Richard Sherman just put together one of his best seasons in his entire career in terms of allowing receptions and – just being dominant in coverage. And you've got a couple guys in the secondary who are, you know, nice pieces and Witherspoon. I think you're a little bit higher on Williams than I am. And then you've got Ward who has been up and down through his career, a little bit shaky here and there, but is having a good season as well. And then everything is tied together by this linebacker group, which is headed by Fred Warner. And as a whole, this this defense just complements each other extremely well. This is just straight up as a complete team – from guy f- number one to guy number 53 on this roster, there's just so much talent that is being maximized by extremely, extremely good coaching. This mm-hmm. San Francisco has two head, basically two head coaches in their, uh, on their staff right now because Robert Sala, while he may not get a head coaching job this time around because of the way things have shaped up in the last week here, he is one. Of, he has been one of the best coaches in the NFL this year. You can make an argument that it started last year, honestly. And Shanahan, of course, I mean, I can't sing his praises enough. Purely one of the best in the league. So it's 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 a scary situation for the Vikings because you go to Levi Stadium and you're not afraid of the home field advantage there like you are against the Superdome. You see the quarterback and you're not afraid of them like you are of Drew Brees. You see the playmakers on this team. You don't see a Michael Thomas that's breaking reception records. You look at this defense, you say, okay, Richard Sherman's old, or you say some of these offensive or these defensive linemen are inexperienced or whatever. You can try to find these holes, but there really isn't any true hole on this entire team. It's just, and anything that is a hole, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, has been covered up so well this entire season by coaching that you may not have even noticed it. Yeah, I mean you're you're 100 right about that, and it's it's funny as I was I was kind of listening to you discuss the linebackers a little bit, and to me that's like I mean that's an outstanding group for one, but it's like that's probably the weakest you know level of that defense because uh, the defensive line is probably the you know that's going to grab the attention. That's I think for you know for my money they're going to this this matchup. That's the biggest problem for sure. If you're a Vikings fan, the that, that defensive line versus the Vikings offensive line. You probably can't put your money on the Vikings' perform- offensive line performing like that against the Saints two weeks in a row. And even if they do, you know, this is just a completely different level than what the Saints bring to the table. So it's going to be a problem. Uh, just really it's going to be about how much of a problem it is. Uh, it's definitely going to be an issue where, like, they might, you know, that that group between Bosa, Ford, uh, Buckner, you know, whoever it is, is going to get in there probably knock up football loose price cousins probably gets sacked you know three to five times like there's going to be issues there pressure's going to be on him all day and he's going to have to handle it one way or another um but it, it's that's the big you know if i'm looking at kind of overall we've discussed all the levels of defense all the key players and i guess for me the one takeaway is protecting kirk cousins is going to be even more of a you know a premium right for to win this game than maybe other games speak just because of how dominant that line is. Um, Cause I think the Vikings, you know, they're going to be able to run the ball. I think I like the way that this unit and the zone blocking thing, and I think they can move pretty well and get that, especially the outside zone stuff. I like that, but it's going to be the passing game and keeping Kirk upright. That will, I think kind of 
hinder whether this team can put up the 20 something points to maybe win this game or if it's going to be you know a, a 10 to 17 points something like that uh, in this game i think it's going to hinge on the offensive line versus the niners pass rush absolutely can the vikings offensive line hold up and can this offense find a way to sustain drives against this defense mm-hmm. um i think time of possession will be important in this game who was able to control the football more yep. who's more careful with the football third downs third downs the little intricacies of yeah. this game third um, downs more or less won the game against the saints absolutely like oh, 11 absolutely. for 18 or something like that 10 or 11 for 18 and the saints were four for 11 that right there tells you the story absolutely so you know as, as a complete as a whole on defense there's so many play playmakers on this unit i mean typically i like to run down on one one or two names to really keep an eye on but there's so many honestly there's so many more <laughs> On this team. I mean, you know 25, Richard Sherman is going to get his. Um, and you can keep an eye on Nick Bosa, uh, but he honestly may not even be the most devastating player on this defensive line. Uh, you can obviously, the strongest can- he's the strongest candidate, but uh, you look at the way that Buckner has played at times this year, the way that Ford has played when he's healthy, and the way that Armstead has played as well too. And really there's just, as a, com- as a, as a complete group, uh, you're not going to find, this isn't possible in two or three years. These guys are yeah. all going to get paid big money. And it's 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 crazy to see them all in prime form right now playing it the way they are. Um, and the Vikings are going to have to find a way to waste that talent. That's that's really that's, that's really the that's the biggest answer here. And I think you said it perfectly, you know, that matchup in the trenches is going to decide this game. Yeah. Now, it, it uh, I will say down the stretch the Niners defense looked vulnerable. If you look at their schedule who they played, now they played some high high octane offenses but basically since the green bay game um which they dominated the packers in 137 to 8 which probably has packers fans frightened about a potential nfc championship matchup with san francisco but so against the they held they held lamar jackson in check you know and the ravens offense to that 20 points and they actually won on a game with a field goal the next week they gave up 46 to the saints then they lost to atlanta at home giving up 29 uh, and then they gave up. They won against the Rams, 34-31 in a shootout. And then the final game of the year was that uh, narrow win over the Seah- Seahawks, where they literally won by about three inches uh, with that tight end uh, Hollister being just short of the goal line. So teams have so- sort of kind of figured out, uh, and a lot of it has been through the air. Just looking at these all these games here, Russell Wilson found some success in the second half. Jared Goff had a really nice game week 16 against his defense. Matt Ryan very efficient um, in that Falcons win. A lot of it was to Julio Jones for what it's worth. Uh, and then uh, obviously the, the big game the Saints had in that shootout that was nearly 100 total points. Uh, Drew Brees got basically whatever he wanted in that game. So uh, it seems like teams have sort of figured something out. Uh, but again, those those quarterbacks in general are all, you could make the argument all of them are better than Kirk Cousins and probably better than this Minnesota passing offense. So they're vulnerable. There's a chance to score some points. It's how much you trust A, this offensive line, and B, Kirk Cousins to stand in there amidst probably a ton of pressure all day long and hit the throws. The good news here, I suppose, is that in terms of going on the road, I mentioned this briefly before, uh, this is probably the best road matchup still remaining in the playoffs. If you look at the teams that are still out there, you know, you don't want to go to Lambeau Field. You don't want to go to CenturyLink Field. You know, especially in the NFC specifically. You're talking like environments to play in. Yeah, like right. Yeah. This is this is by no means the toughest one that you're going to find, and I do expect there to be a good amount of Vikings fans out there as well. At least they were, they were highly they were well represented the last two times that these two teams played um, in San Francisco. So that's I guess that's one of the positives that you can look at here. Um, but as a whole, this is going to be a very difficult matchup, and it's going to be it'll be very fun for people out there who appreciate um, you know well coached football. Nobody's getting away with anything in this game. The, these two coaches going against each other. You've got old school defensive minded who has been creative in providing defensive, you know, revol- revolutionary changes to defenses for his entire career against one of the best up and comers, and has already firmly established himself as one of the best offensive minds. Um, it's it's going to be a hell of a matchup. I, I don't, you know, it, it's hard to be confident as a Vikings fan when you just look at the. You know the simple numbers here: one seed against the six, thirteen and three against ten and six. X amount. I don't even know how many Pro Bowlers they had off the top of my head, but there's a lot against what you know the Vikings having three and probably getting a few snubs there. Eric Kendricks being the obvious one, but yeah, 
Um, my point being here is this matchup is doesn't necessarily look pretty on paper, but there are some things to like, and there are some things that you can try to exploit, and there are some things that you can feel good about, especially coming off of that performance against the Saints. So with all that being said, how do you think this one shakes out? Um. Uh... You know, I think it to me, I, I'm approaching it very similar to the way I felt about the Saints game a week ago. Uh, I kind of felt confident in this Vikings defense. You know, Mike Zimmer has a, a way now, it seems like, in some of these bigger games that, you know, the defense seems to play pretty well for the most part. Um, you know, I, he's in the past, obviously, the thing that gave me confidence last week was that, you know, against Sean Payton and against Drew Brees, he's been pretty good. Uh, and now, if, I mean, this is a very, very small sample size. I mean, but like, you know, the Niners offense all season has been efficient. And last season, while Jimmy G was healthy, was efficient, except for that Vikings game uh, week one. So, again, that's just one game I'm going off of. But Zimmer had Kyle Shanahan and Garoppolo held in check there. So I do think that Vikings defense can keep the Vikings as a team in this game for most of it. But overall, I'm going to end up selecting the Niners to win this game just because I trust the Niners defense and the defensive line uh, to really put it put the heat on the Vikings offense and the offensive line in particular in pass protection. And I'm just not sure that group can hold up. And I'm not sure Cousins can hold up under that much pressure all day long. So that's what's going to make the decision for me. I think the Niners win by four. Yeah, I'll give them a four-point win uh, just because, again, that there, there's so much heat to be brought by that that pass rush and i don't know if the vikings pass protection can hold up that well two weeks in a row absolutely you know i I completely agree with you that this you know this this matchup between the vikings front five against you know the the four plus that san francisco is going to be bringing uh, is an absolute nightmare on paper it does not look good for the vikings straight up and ultimately to me that's the thing that will decide this game i'm going to go with san francisco as well i'm not drinking like I'm hyped coming off of that that Saints game. I saw a lot of things from this Vikings team. I mentioned, you know, we talked about this a lot on the last show. I I feel very good about this Vikings team heading into this game. I just don't like. I don't like the matchups. I don't like the situation. It 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 all inspires zero confidence to me. If you think about a situation where what's the worst like, what's the worst surroundings for Kirk Cousins? Like, what's the what? type of defense is going to create the most likely, you know, example of Kurt showing up? It's probably one with a bunch of pass rushers that can get after him, cause problems in the pocket. And a and smart then, secondary uh, that if can... He, yeah, right. And if, if, the, and if he is to get, able to get the pass off, you got a superstar secondary led by the smartest guy in the league uh, that will know exactly... It, 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 I get what you're okay, saying. Okay, so you here. say, like, you look at just that right there and it's very, very hard to pick Minnesota in this game. There are, you know, we've mentioned throughout the show, there are pieces of this game that I like, and there are individual matchups that I don't hate. And I think that if Kirk Cousins truly shows up again, like he did against New Orleans, and, you know, plays some of his best football of his career, which is what he did last week in crunch time against New Orleans, the Vikings are going to be in this game. I just don't see that happening. I see this as a recipe for disaster. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to, like... I don't mean to kill your optimism in this game, and I hope I don't. But that's just how I feel. I look at, I look at the the intricacies of this team, and it's just a recipe for disaster. It's everything that you don't want Kirk Cousins to have to run into, and it's everything that this offensive line has failed against in the past. Whether that's you know a big guy bull rushing through your interior. Good luck, Pat Elfline, this week. Good luck, Garrett Bradbury. I'm deathly afraid of what DeForest Buckner is going to do to those guys. And then if they, if they're not the ones that are getting it, I mean, Nick Bosa against Riley Reef, that's not a matchup that I enjoy, folks. And so if the Vikings aren't running the ball effectively, which I do think they have a good chance to do, Cook is mm-hmm. cooking, no pun intended. So there is that element to this. If they can get a steady running game going, get Madison involved as well to keep Cook fresh, then the Vikings will have a chance. But they have to sustain drives. And I just don't see that happening because I see a lot of holding penalties in the Vikings' future. And I see a lot of sacks and drive-killing moments. And ultimately, to me, I've got San Francisco winning by probably two scores. I'll, I'll say by ten points. And I think that might be putting it kindly, to be honest with you. But I'm just really? not, com- okay. 
I'm not confident when you break down kind of the worst case scenario for this Vikings team, their kryptonite, if you will. It, to me, is the way that San Francisco is, is the way that their roster is composed. So I just want to ask you one more thing before we pick the other games. Um, how much do you believe in the – it's like it, it's an intangible, uh, you know, emotional thing with this team being the underdog. Uh, because it seems like, you know, we had, this is another thing that we talked about with kind of the Clem in the pocket guys all day today was, you know, for as bad as sometimes the Vikings play when they're expected to win, uh, you know, when they're, they're favoriting games or, you know, they go up against teams like the Bills last year, Broncos this year, and they kind of come out really flat. It seems like a lot of times, like the Saints game, right, uh, that they come out, with you know when nobody expects him to win and Zimmer just kind of has that attitude about him where he thrives off of that and for whatever reason it seems like the guys have kind of bought into that in terms of this postseason right. you know so many of the players over and over last week oh nobody thinks we can do this nobody thinks we can win and then in the post game interviews nobody gave us a chance nobody believed in us all this and that right and it, I mean it's not just one guy saying it it's all the players saying it you know Mike Zimmer is saying it is there anything about you that thinks that might play into the result of this game do you believe in that type of thing or you kind of just because i I, for whatever reason it's giving me a little bit more confidence that they're the underdog and i think they're gonna come out with a chip on their shoulder and and fight and keep this game close whereas in in another scenario where maybe they are only like maybe they're favored by three or maybe they're it's a pick on whatever i would i wouldn't be as confident well to me that is the Vikings' only edge in this game. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's like it's their it's their source of power this week. It's what makes them. It, it, honestly, I don't care what it takes to get this Vikings team up. If that's what does it, if that's what gets these guys playing, you know, to the to their highest level. And for me personally, I, I mean, I, I I think I'm I'm hopefully speaking for a lot of you guys as well, but. This, when someone else doubts that I can do something, it just makes me want to do it that much more. So I, that's to me, that's an engine for success for this Vikings team. If they're buying into that, yeah, that's the edge that they that, that's the edge that can make a difference in this game. And the only problem with that is, can San Francisco can they match that in, that you know that energy? Are they able to come hyped? Uh, there's a lot of experience on this defense. You know, it starts with Richard Sherman. There's also a lot of inexperience too. So there might be some guys yeah. who have been reading the newspaper, that headline that you've, that you've mentioned multiple times this week about how San Francisco basically has a cakewalk to the Super Bowl. If they, are they drinking their own Kool-Aid? There are, I mean, there are veterans like Sherman, but there are some guys that you know, ha- one thing might to be feeling too, themselves talk, a little bit. One thing to mention, too, you talked about inexperience. Jimmy G, this is his first playoff game, right? And now if historically quarterbacks starting their first playoff game as you know at home as number one seed not great uh, i think i saw it on espn today now i don't th- these are just kind of uh hand-picked stats and stuff so you can feel about this how you want to but uh out of nine games in this scenario where the quarterback is making his first career start for the number one seed in that home divisional game uh four and five record uh and so that's where jimmy g falls in here and and again this doesn't this is more of a you know it's not really causation it's kind of just a correl- correlation right right but it does speak to, you know, this. there's a lot of pressure now and expectation on Jimmy G because the Niners are clearly the best team remaining, I think, in the NFC after the Saints went, went down, right? right? They are clearly the best team left, uh, and they should be expected to come out of the NFC at this point. And they just have to beat the sixth seed. And then, you know, the next week, if the Packers win at home, that's, they play the Packers and who they already beat at home this year by 30. It's like with that whole cakewalk to the Super Bowl thing, like – there is some merit to that, that maybe, take. Maybe they're looking past the Vikings. That's honestly, as a Vikings fan, that's you have to hope for that. Yeah. You have to Which hope it, that they're looking no, that, beyond that's the Vikings. That's how the media is approaching it in San Francisco. We don't know how the players are or the coaches right. or anything, but um, it, it's this is a new environment for Jimmy G specifically to be starting a playoff game uh, as the number one seed at home. So hopefully, you know, from our perspective, hopefully that's rattling him a little bit yeah. and. Uh, the Vikings can get at him early and, and affect him a little bit. Hopefully it is the intangibles that make the difference here. Um, the Vikings are very fundamentally sound. They're very well coached. Um, they've been in this situation before, and it seems like they know what they're doing in terms of preparing for this and not allowing, you know, 
whatever the yeah. hell happened in Philadelphia to happen again. Uh, I'm, I'm more, I'm confident that Zimmer doesn't make the same mistake twice in that regard. So, you know, ultimately, I, I, I still am siding with the 49ers. But to me, what you mentioned before about those in, that intangible underdog quality that seems to inspire this team and really kind of amps up this fan base as a whole. That's their power, and that's really the that's the one chance that they have to go into San Francisco to get this game is if they can kind of want it more. And I know that's the you guys are sick, everyone's sick of hearing, you know, those coaching cliches. But if the the Vikings need to want this one more, they need to act like it, they need to play like it, and they need to play fundamentally sound football throughout. And that's really the only chance that they're gonna. There's no there's no shot the Vikings blow out the San Francisco. That's not happening. If they can play this one close, play smart, win the turnover battle, win time of possession, do those little things right, then they might have a chance. But ultimately, we're both siding with San Francisco. So, all right, let's move into these last couple games here, and we'll wrap up the show. Uh, Your guys, Tennessee, they head to Baltimore this week, uh, playing against probably the most dominant uh, team remaining in the postseason, one of the most lethal offensive attacks that we've seen to date. Uh, headed by Lamar Jackson. I believe Mark Ingram is returning as well. They've got all the playmakers in the world. Um, Mark Roman has put together one of the mo- a revolutionary offense. Uh, they're very well coached. And they'll go against Tennessee, who is led by Derrick Henry, who has turned himself into a top three running back in the NFL over the last couple months. Uh, he's an absolute freight train out there. He's imp- basically has been impossible to tackle on the first – he makes the first guy – he breaks the first tackle every single time, simply put. Mm-hmm. And the question here is, can Tannehill show up because he didn't – he played okay last week, Didn't wasn't asked to do eh. a whole lot. But... Tannehill put together a Christian Ponder performance last okay. week, and they still beat the Patriots at Foxborough. Can they do that I, in Baltimore? I, I really, really, really want to pick the Titans, and I think I, – I, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to. Give me the Titans. Um, and it, it's – that's more of me picking with my heart. I just, I, I'm a big, like, I've become a Mike Vrabel guy uh, over the past couple of years. And Tannehill, again, if he can show up and play a decent game, you know, that takes their offense, like, if, for example, last week, if he puts together a, an average game compared to what he's, you know, the last eight games of the regular season, they blow out the Patriots in that game. And so I think this offense can keep compete with the Ravens. They are nearly as efficient. And then you put it in the way, Derek Derek Henry's running the ball lately. Um, this one, it, it, depending on the weather, I think it's supposed to be rainy a little bit, which always can muddle things a little bit. Sure. But um, you know, it, it hypothetically, if it were to turn into a shootout or something, I do think the Titans have the capability to keep up with the Ravens. But the fact that it is going to be rainy and uh, the weather will be sketchy, I do think also kind of just inherently brings in the underdog a little bit more than than usual. So I'll take the Titans. Why not? Okay. Well, I'm going to take Baltimore. I'm just going to I'm going to take the clear favorite in the AFC um, and be safe yeah. with this pick. Um, they're, they're definitely the best team in, in the NFL remaining right it, now, and it's not really close. But It's going to take a historic upset. And, I mean, the NFL playoffs is filled with historic update, upsets. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's just that Baltimore has put together such a great season, and they've had you know a couple weeks now to prepare for this matchup. Um, Lamar Jackson got his postseason taste last year. Did not end the way that he wanted to. I mean, he's a completely different player now, for what it's worth. But uh, to me, he is, this is a legendary season in the making for Baltimore. And tripping over Tennessee would just—it it has the same vibe as the Patriots losing their, you know, their 19 and 0 season to the Giants. Because this has been such a crazy run of success for Baltimore, with all their. You know, all the new quirks that they're putting on a modern offense. Um, Destiny has to favor Baltimore. So I'm going to side with Destiny here. I'm going to pick Baltimore, too. And that's where we're going with that one. So the remaining two games here, Houston, Deshaun Watson takes on Patrick Mahomes. Uh, That's a fun matchup for Bears fans, I'm sure, uh, in the divisional round. And Kansas City playing at home, one of the toughest environments there is. Houston coming off of kind of a win that – Buffalo sort of lost to them in the end where they just couldn't play offense anymore and Deshaun Watson sort of took over yeah. and became Superman. Against Kansas City, Andy Reid, historically not great in the postseason. you got to feel for the guy at some point. Uh, but he's got a, arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. I still think that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. And plenty of playmakers, a rushing attack that has been viable, not good, but viable. 
and a defense that has been a lot better this year with Tyron Matthew um, than it was in the past. Can Houston pull off this upset? I, I don't think so. Um, now this is coming from the guy who picked the Titans to beat the Ravens, so <laughs> it, make of that what you will. But I'm going to go with the Chiefs, and uh, it's like, you know, they just, like, that kind of win at home over Buffalo and over, you know, with Josh Allen playing as uh, erratically as he did doesn't impress me a ton. And uh, especially if Will Fuller is still out, uh, I, this offense is drastically different without him, especially on third down. So I'll go I'll go with Kansas City. That seems like the safe pick. And, you know, for one of these games, I guess I better go with the safe pick. Yeah, I'm going Kansas City as well. Uh, they're definitely the safe pick here. Um, they're the you know, the, the definitive favorite in this situation. There's just, as much as I enjoy Houston, I just don't think they've got enough this year. It's really Deshaun Watson's show. And if Laramie Tunzel isn't able to, you know, provide protection, which uh, let's just be honest here. I know he's a pro bowler, but he has been up and down this year. He gets a lot of stupid penalties. That offensive line behind Tunzel is just not very good. Mm-hmm. And, Kansas City's pass rushing has gotten better with Spagnuolo over the course of this year. And ultimately, Watson's going to have to probably try to win a shootout against Mahomes, and I'm going to take Mahomes against any quarterback in a shootout situation. So uh, good luck to Houston. I will be rooting for Houston in this situation, but ultimately I think Kansas City's got the W here. Um, And the last game of the week, uh, another fun one for Vikings fans, Uh, Seattle heads to Lambeau Field to take on the Packers. And so Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson will duke it out once again. A matchup of two quarterbacks with, you know, Super Bowl history. Um, you've also got, a, you know, a rookie head coach in Matt LaFleur that's going to get his first taste of the postseason against Pete Carroll, who has seen the highest of highs and the lowest of lows in the postseason. Um, Seattle, unfortunately, has been ravaged by injury, so that they're not going to be at full strength whereas Green Bay is about as healthy as they're going to get. Um, Aaron Jones, Jer- uh, you know, Devontae Adams is finally fully healthy. Uh, they're going to bring the house at him as well, and they're playing at home. Can Seattle get this upset against our favorite team, the Green Bay Packers? Uh, these are the two weakest teams remaining in the playoffs. In, uh, NFC and AFC combined, that's how I feel about this game. Okay. Uh, I'm going with Green Bay because they're at home. Uh, and apparently I didn't know this, but apparently Russell Wilson has been like really bad at Lambeau in the past. Uh, so maybe it's a cold weather thing. Like obviously in Seattle, it's not like, you know, scorching hot all the time, but, uh, maybe that's, I don't know because he was really bad too in that playoff game in Minneapolis when it was like five below zero. Uh, but I'm going with green Bay just because they're at home. And that's, I mean, if this was in Seattle, I'm picking Seattle. So that's really the only advantage here. Yeah, uh, so I'm going to pick Seattle, and the only reason I'm picking Seattle is because I picked the favorite in all three other games, San Francisco, Baltimore, and Kansas City. And every weekend in the NFL postseason is typically filled with some sort of upset. And I see this game having the most upset potential because of Russell Wilson. And Marshawn Lynch apparently is going to get more touches this week. We'll see how that pans out. He's looked very okay since coming out of retirement to – play running back I guess um, but basically it's been Travis Homer <laughs> no one really talks about him and then Lynch gets it at the goal line and gets the touchdowns yeah and everyone sees that and they think that he's still a beast but I don't know I'm, I'm skeptical but my point being ultimately I, I think Seattle's going to get the win here they it, Russell Wilson with the game on the line is as dangerous as they come I think that's the guy if I had to pick one quarterback to go 80 yards in 90 seconds it's it's Russell Wilson yeah for me and I think that he can do that against Green Bay. So ultimately, I think that Seattle is going to get this one done, and they're going to upset the Packers, which will be enjoyable for this fan base. So uh, that's that. those are your matchups for this week. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up the show here? Um, I, ha- I reserve the right to change my pick if the Vikings wear all purple again this week. Okay. I will make a note of that, and uh, <laughs> we'll uh, move forward um, as such. So... Uh, thanks as well. 
Thanks as always for uh, for listening to the show. You can find us on iTunes. Subscribe there if you haven't already. Uh, check us out on Daily Norseman. Leave a comment in the comment section below if you like. Uh, we like to read those, and we always enjoy your thoughts. And you can find us on Twitter at unbelievable underscore mn. And make sure to check out the rest of the Climbing the Pocket Network um, and the shows that everyone else on this team is providing. They're excellent as well. And I think that's all I got for you guys. So uh, thanks for listening, and hopefully we'll talk to you next. We'll continue. We'll be continuing to talk about the postseason uh, with the, following a Vikings victory. Um, otherwise, we'll begin the offseason and start to figure out uh, new topics to talk about uh, on this show. So uh, thanks as always, and we'll catch you guys next week. Oh.